what is going on in longevity and aging research. You keep mentioning back back in the days. I mean, the first study about the doubling lifespan, I went to the library, right? I dicked up, <laughs> up the paper, yeah. right? And I read it there. And then I was so amazed. And I just like, I had it and, you know, I really wanted to keep it. So I wanted to... In this episode number 69, I have a conversation with Professor Colin Ewald from the ETH Zürich. By 2030, almost every fourth person will be 65 or older in Switzerland, Europe and the United States. Science is just now beginning to better understand the root cause of aging and dying and any disease that we can understand is one that will eventually be cured. Professor Ewald is head of the Extracellular Matrix Regeneration Laboratory at the ETH Zürich. Colin has a long-standing interest in the molecular biology of healthy aging and age-related pathologies. He is the founder and currently the president of the Swiss Society for Aging Research. He has received multiple awards, including NYAS Future Entrepreneur, recognized by the New York Academy of Sciences, and is named under the top 1,000 longevity leaders worldwide and the top 15 longevity influencers in Switzerland. Questions we will discuss in the episode. What is the role of extracellular matrix during aging and longevity? Where is currently the innovation for longevity drug discoveries done? What aging research is going on in the world? And what is the Swiss Society of Aging and Longevity Research? And much, much more. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to a new episode of the Beginner's Mind podcast. Today with a very special guest from a beautiful country in Europe, from Switzerland. Welcome to the show, Colin Ewald. Welcome uh, in the show, Colin. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Colin, how is life in Switzerland these days? Oh, um, you know, it's, I mean, we have at the moment beautiful weather. <laughs> it's cold. It used to snow. And I mean, there are lots of snow on the ski slopes. So if you want to go skiing, it's fantastic. Of course, with the corona, I mean, there's a lot of lockdown. And, um, you know, um, unfortunately, the situation is going again to, you know, getting more and more isolated, which mm -hmm. is which is a pity. Um, but I think we handled it before. And so I'm pretty optimistic we're going to handle, you know, the, the new wave again. And then hopefully life is going to be more social again in, in the spring. I hope so too. In spring, there is the Bio Europe in Switzerland. I think it's in, oh, I think it's in Basel this year. And it would be nice to travel there to see this area again. Yeah, it's true. I mean, also for, for us scientists, we had lots of meetings online or via Zoom, which was a lot, right? And everybody got tired now of it. So everybody <laughs> is eager to meet and mingle. And we had a couple of meetings that were hybrid and we were able to meet and exchange ideas. It's just different when you can mm -hmm. really exchange ideas, talk to somebody informally, right? And, you know, it, it's it's completely different. It's a different dynamic. It's a different feedback. 
and uh, we are very social animals so we love to chat over dinner or you know a beer or so to come up with really great ideas i couldn't agree more the last conference i attended before the pandemic was in october 2019 um abroad then i had an event in january 2020 here in vienna it was a panel discussion and then nothing and it was so refreshing in october to attend at least one conference here in vienna at the the fip and i cannot agree more to say we are social animals so seeing people and uh, talking with people in person has a different dynamic than doing it via zoom colin the efip was um, a very good conference uh, in which i heard that there is a lot of research going on in areas that i usually don't work in um, i come from drug development and uh, help scientists since 2006 um, to move the drugs through the development process and partner it with the pharma industry. And mostly it was about curing disease. And at the FIP, I learned that there is a lot of research going on in the food industry and also in the health industry. And the interesting thing is that uh, these few topics that pop up constantly now on my social media feed, it's uh, longevity, aging, And a word that I like that I found on your website, it's the health span. Um, these are three topics that I like since I was a young boy. So back in the 80s, I had one core question. And this was why are some people um, achieving a very old age and in absolute 100% health, while others... Um, are on the opposite side and uh, have cancer, heart attacks, and any kind of diseases already in their 40s or 30s. And the answers I got were a little bit divided. Some said it's uh, God's will. Um, others uh, blamed the life situation and life circumstances. So I went on a little quest and... Um, Maybe it didn't uh, look very well enough towards science, but in the 80s, 90s, early 90s, mid 90s, before the internet, I found barely any answer in this area with a scientific background. And I found many, let's call it hints, in the martial arts area where I saw 80, 90 year old men basically doing things where I, as a 20 year old young man, said, That's even impossible for me. How can they do that with 80, 90 over there? Uh, so I'm really curious now to hear from you uh, what's going on in this area in research, in the labs, uh, when we talk about longevity, aging, and health span. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, it's um, it's fantastic that the, the subject reaches a lot of people. I mean, it's just the beginning. For me, I mean... It's old news, right? I mean, I started my um, scientific inquiry in aging research 20 years ago. So again, I had the similar question like you. I observed that some people are super healthy and other ones are not. And what is the difference there? That was just the back of the mind. But then when I went to university, um, you know, there was a study coming out that a single mutation in a single gene was able to double the lifespan of an organism. So this organism is it's a little worm, one millimeter mm. in size. It's called uh, C. elegans. 
And that gene was called DAF2, right? So in 1993, Cynthia Canyon, you know, had a very nice uh, uh, nature paper about this. And, and that was not only, you know, the most mind-blowing part to me, because, I mean, of course, aging is super complex. There are lots of things happening. Then if you think about it, it's crazy that you can have just one gene or one single mutation that can double the lifespan, right? So that's mind-blowing. But to me, going to university, looking at and studying molecular biology and all those pathways and biochemistry, the cool thing to me was actually that this mutation in the staff too, to mm. eat, to double the lifespan depending on a second gene called DAF16. And so this suggests that that's under genetic regulation, right? And so this opened up a whole new game for the aging research because now we had something to really like, you know, to tackle it. We had a tool to look at it in a, in a model organism and we could actually do biochemical essays. We could do all the science essays, all this Soft things we couldn't do before, right? Um, which is, you know, better sport, better nutrition. Here we can go really to the molecular players. And that, you know, opened up the whole new field. And then people got into also the more with research in mice and other model organisms. And we try and, and we decipher the genetic underpinnings, so to speak. I mean, there's a lot to learn, but we learned a lot in the last um, 20 to uh, 30 years. And now the shift is actually what's the exciting part is that we, it's a young field and we learned a lot. And now it's at a time where we could start thinking about developing trucks, going into biotech and, and bring it to the market and to the people. And so that's why you start hearing it because, you know, we are trying to move into uh, the innovation, into truck development. Mm -hmm. And also then we're trying to move it into clinical trials. I mean, we have a lot of things proven in, in model organism in basic research, but then the question is how well it will hold up in, in us humans. And we're just starting it and it's going to be, it will take a long time. And, but I'm very confident that we going there. And at the moment, as I mentioned, it's pretty exciting. It's very interesting to hear that I'm coming from the other direction um, where genetic always seemed to me it's, it's, pretty much fixed so you can't do anything against it and i was looking on the side of uh, lifestyle of habits of uh, how that influences aging but there was one question that i never got uh, a real good answer uh, maybe you have one and uh, maybe i just give it a try and ask it to you can you explain to me in simple terms what the scientific point of view on aging is what is aging is it a disease is it a natural process what is that <laughs> That's a very difficult question. I mean, that just can take you. Um, my um, working model, my understanding of aging. So to me, aging is simply the physiological decline of function, right? So your heart functions less, your, your liver, all your internal organs, right, decline. And, um, and that just goes about it and then you ask your question like you know why 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 would things decline after the age of say 40 or 50 right mm -hmm. and it's basically because you know natural selection which is the driver of evolution right doesn't care what happens to you after you have technically reproduced so meaning you know natural selection cares about you growing fast and you know you being fit in the sense that you can, you know, uh, reproduce. So that's all it cares about. But what happens to you uh, with your body after reproduction, natural selection doesn't care. 
So meaning that there are two things going on. So one thing is that genes that are good for you when you're young to grow, um, for example, the DAF2 gene, which is insulin IGF-1 receptor, right, which is very important for growth. Um, you know, it's good till you, uh, you know, get older and then it's not switched off and it's just, it's like a compost, like it's a molecular compost. It just goes all different ways. It's just not regulated mm -hmm. anymore. And, and so that's one thing. And then if things are not regulated correctly anymore, then things are also not repaired because you are constantly exposed to toxins, to UV, to other things that damage your, your molecules inside the cells, like your DNA, your proteins, right? And so when you're young, you're very well equipped to repair it, right? So you have all these machinery repaired. But if, you know, with, with aging, if that declines, and you're not repairing your stuff so good, it accumulates damage, and then it also leads to, to system failure, right? At one point in time. <laughs> one point of time, right? Mm -hmm. and, but, you know, and then the, the other aspect, the last aspect what I want to mention to you is saying, you know, if it's all, you know, um, you know natural or is it just happening? The thing is what, what's very curious, if you look at bacteria, which are just single cells, right? They also age. And so the way they age, actually, they, you know, they grow when they have a certain cell size, they, they divide, right? And then they, they split off, right? But the thing is that when they divide, there's so, a so-called mother cell, which takes all the damaged proteins and DNA that are there, it, it keeps it and only gives the good one away to the, to the next one, right? So meaning mm -hmm. that this one original cell, right, one starts to age because it accumulates all that damage. And so that already suggests to you that aging itself was an invention in biology that just happened, right? And since that so early in evolution happened, we all age, right? Which is, you know, it's just to me, again, if I come back, to me, it's just something intrinsic in us that's happening. And that's why I also, you know, aging as a disease, I mean, you know, it depends who you talk to and what, what they want to do, what they want to do with it. Because, you know, if you say aging is not a disease, then you have a very hard time to do all these clinical trials, right? And if you say aging is a disease, then you have something to actually do the drug developments to do those trials. So it really depends what, what, what you want what's your standpoint this and what what is needed but technically it's more or less to me it's semantics because the intrinsic biology as i mentioned it's just in us and since you know probably that ancestor cell survived had this intrinsic aging mechanism in there and this is how we evolved and we have to deal with it unfortunately but the cool thing is Since this is so ancient, you could study the basic fundamentals in model organisms, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all the same. And so that makes it, again, cool to get some insights, how it works and how could we address it. I think this is a very interesting point. I would like to come up with another unusual question. Um, when we look at, uh, to just build a little bit on this, uh, aging is, might be a disease and might, maybe it's curable. And to test the hypothesis that I got from the internet, from YouTube, from some investors. Um, in the last year, I asked myself very often, I mean, um, uh, what's with the usual dangers in life? So I'm 47 and at some point in time I will age and uh, life will go away. And I started looking on the average lifespan of the human race. 
And I found uh, with Wikipedia and other sources that probably in the Stone Age, um, 47 was a very unusual age, a high age, and people died mostly in their 20s to 30s. Um, so the average lifespan that I found was 32. And with the Industrial Revolution, it seemed to go up. So to 70, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. And some investors claim that they think it's even possible to achieve 100, 200, 300, 400 years of age um, with the right treatment. From your scientific perspective, do you really think it's possible to go from an average of 20, 30 years in Stone Age up to maybe in 50 years, 100, 200, 300 years? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Um, let me first give you a little bit more perspective. Is mm -hmm. this the numbers you just uh, mentioned here? You know, if you think about it for like 4 million years, right? You're right. The average age was 20 and it went up to 31. So 11 mm -hmm. years in 4 million years, right? Life expectancy increase. But then the last 115 years, it was from 31 to 71. So 40 mm -hmm. years life expectancy increase, increase, which is a doubling in lifespan. Now, the question is that what you mentioned, uh, the science field is really divided, where it's possible to go over the age of 120 or 115, right? I mean, the world mm -hmm. record is Sean Galmar with 122 years. But you see mostly these supercentenarians, so people over 100, and if you reach 110, it's called supercentenarian. It's usually for men around 110 and for women 115 or 17 or something like that, right? And so it, there's, you know, lots of different papers coming out on this to calculate where it's possible, where it's even possible for your molecular machinery to, to go there. And, you know, lately... There has been a real change, at least in, you know, if you look at the cellular levels. So at the moment, we are able to reprogram cells. So meaning we could take a skin cell from you and then use four different factors called the Yamanaka factors, and we could reprogram it. So it's going to be like set zero again, so to speak, on the epigenetic age, right? Meaning that, you know, technically, we're starting to see evidence that it's possible to reverse aging. So if that's possible, but if you can reverse your, your aging of your cells a little bit, right, then technically it's possible to live up a long, long, long life. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I think it, it is possible, um, I, but I don't want to make too many claims because what I would love to see is not, I don't want to live for like 200 years because I, I would rather live, you know, 90 years in super good health, right? And, you know, then it could come to an end. 
Because I'm, I'm not sure, you know, this is a personal decision, what you want to do, right? If you talk to elderly people, they say, you know, deja vu, deja fait, and you've seen it all, right? It's just repeating and it's over the same thing again. I don't know how, <laughs> how exciting it's going to be. Um, but, you know, we're making the progress and the science is getting there. So we could actually, you know, not only slow the aging process, but starting to, in a sense, to reverse it to in, in some extent. And so, yes, I mean, there will be an increase. And I think everybody has in the end to decide for themselves whether they want this or not. I think that's a great point. I mean, um, 20, you said, a uh, few thousand years ago. Uh, and now we have 70, 80. And I think uh, very often we forget that, that um, my opinion, we live in a paradise with a high probability of uh, 70, 80, 90 years in good health. And uh, the let's stay a little bit on the macro uh, environment. What's your opinion why that changed from 20 years up to 80, 90? Do you have a scientific uh, perspective on that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, the last 115 years, we had really cool medical breakthroughs, right? One of them is, uh, you know, really fighting infectious diseases, right? With antibiotics, um, uh, fighting old bacterial infections, and vaccination, fighting lots of, um, you know, viral infections. So that, that, that you know, increased uh, health and lifespan by, by a lot. And also then the next revolution was just, um, simple soap, just simply washing hands. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, all those, um, you know, you know, birth uh, deaths we had was basically one, one factor was that, you know, the people, when the baby got delivered, they didn't wash hands. So, you know, a doctor comes in one operation from one thing and then delivers a baby. And of course it gets all go infected. Just having soap and, you know, hygiene just made a huge, huge difference. And also then the, the healthcare system, right? So so basically we got rid of a lot of, um, you know, early mortality, like childhood mortality and a lot of these infectious diseases. And that increased our um, lifespan by a lot. And then we, of course, now with, you know, everybody has, you know, access to drinking water, clean drinking water, um, food and whatever is needed, right? So that, you know, there was a, big change i also like the evolution of the internet and uh, this is one thought i had in the last two decades when i remember the 80s when someone with 13 14 15 years old wanted to learn something about uh, lifestyle habits it was really challenging to uh, get the right information from the right people when i look on the internet today I just have to ask Google, uh, what should I do to age uh, in good health and get a myriad, in my opinion, very good advices and very good book recommendations from scientists who explain in an easy to understand way how people should set up their lifestyle to uh, have a very uh, good probability of aging in a healthy. What do you think about uh, these? Um, let's say, social media strategies. 
do you find sound advice on the internet or do you see it a little bit differently from the scientific standpoint? So, I mean, the good thing is that education is a big factor in aging, right? So the more educated you are, uh, usually correlates or is associated with a longer lifespan. Again, correlation, association is not causation, but, you know, it definitely helps to, to learn a lot. Now, how good the information is on, on these things um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so, 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 I mean, I mean, the, let's, so, I mean, you, you mentioned that you used Wikipedia before, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Wikipedia is, you know, curated by everybody, right? And so when you come in as a scientist and you want to correct certain things, um, Wikipedia is clearly, well, you know, it's not for experts, right? So it's always too detailed, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, so I think it's a good starting point, right? It's a good, ignition of thoughts or fourth stream or where you want to look for information. But then I would go to some more trusted resources, right? I mean, you know, science books are good, right? Documentaries, and then just educate yourself and be critical. Critical thinking is important, right? Does this make sense? Who, who, who is writing this, right? Is where's it coming from? What's the agenda of that uh, you know, offer or of this of this person? What what do they try to convey? Um, what's their mo motive and 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 does make sense and you know how how true it is right could you somehow test it i mean it's really like a little bit the scientific approach right so you have these different hypotheses you know see whether they hold up or not um but i mean in general i would recommend to read around and see something for um you know medical things uh you know this usual mistake you just read up all the different things and you think like you have all those different diseases so I would rather go and ask a doctor, ask the ex experts, right? And the nice thing is nowadays, I think also with the Zoom and the social media, lots of experts are really reachable and they're happy to, um, to talk to everybody. Because, I mean, at least from the academic side, right, you are funded by the government. You get grants and the, and the money is coming from the people. So you have an obligation as a scientist or academic person to bring back the information, what is happening with the money people actually give to you, right? What, you know, the science is driven forward and then also communicate it back and inform, inform the public, right? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. That's sound advice, and I agree 100% to that. I think uh, Google, YouTube, Wikipedia are good starting points to find a lot of information. But in the end, it leads back to the, I would say, real experts who dedicate their lives uh, to do proper research and also analyze what's working and what's not working. And this is also the way I found you. Um, I remember that uh, from all these questions I had, uh, at one point in time, you popped up on my LinkedIn page. And I thought, 
why should I not ask you directly? Can we have a podcast episode about these topics uh, so that I have the chance to learn more and also can really help to disseminate the information and uh, highlight your great work in, uh, in Zürich uh, from your team? And in my opinion, the internet, when it comes to uh, learning, teaching and uh, sharing information is a blessing to, to the human race. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, the thing is the, the old school media, newspapers and radio, right? I mean, you reach the people over the age of, say, 50. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and then the, the, the newer generation, I mean, not even watches TV anymore. It's all Netflix and all the social medias, right? It's just a different, it's just a different way to get your information, different sources. So they're different targeted groups, so to speak, who you're gonna talk to and target to with, with the different things. Um, and so it's just changed. Everything is changing, right? So again, there's another revolution coming in, in, in media, right? I see that coming, but let's stay on longevity and uh, healthy aging. Um, what's going on in your lab? What is your research focus? So our research focus is we, we first of all, we go for really basic questions, fundamental questions. We use this um, model organism, Sierragans, as I, I mentioned to you. Mm -hmm. And then we ask like, you know, you know, um, What, for example, what is happening if we have the genetics the same, like they would be all twins, and if they eat all the same food in the same environment, right? Would they all age the same and they die at the same time? And the answer is, is no, right? Even though the, the genetics is the same, right? The genes that you have and the food that they eat and the temperature exposed to and everything that is exactly the same, There are some worms that live around 15 days and other ones that live 30 days. So also doubling lifespan. And, and this difference in, in, in lifespan, we call randomness. And it's just, uh, you know, scientists usually use randomness to say if they don't understand it. We don't, clearly <laughs> don't understand this. But there's a lot of randomness going on in terms of molecular programs on gene description. And we made, made some insights there to use this randomness in, in gene expression to predict how long an animal lives, right? So this is, this is one source of question uh, we, we, we asked. The other uh, question we asked then is, you know, is it even possible to extend the lifespan when you're really, really old and just about to die? Is it even possible to extend the lifespan? Because all those drugs and interventions you do, right? You want to take when you're, I don't know, 60, 70, right? And, uh, and increase your health and lifespan. Mm -hmm. But nobody wrote has actually shown that this is impossible because we take either we have genetic mutations that are there from birth, or we can do some interference, but these interferences are usually done when the animal is pretty young. So young adults, teenagers, right? And then they, they live longer. So we re-engineered CR again so that we can degrade this DAF2 gene, this insulin IGF1 uh, receptors. And, and so we could give a drug and it would just degrade that one. When we do this in young age, then, you know, we have a doubling lifespan. And then we just aged out C. elegans till around mm -hmm. um, 75% of the population has died. And this is after 21 days, right? So they age similar as us, but much faster. So after 21 days, they all have died. So if you don't do any treatment there, after four days, all the animals are dead. However, if you had this 75 percentile uh, time point and we knock down the insulin IGF-1 receptor, 
we were able to extend the lifespan not only by a couple of days, but by 26 days. So what I'm saying is we were able, even when they close to die, to double their lifespans, which is pretty mind-blowing, right? And so now one question in our lab is going on to figure out like, what is happening there? Do we, do we just extremely slow the aging process? Do we even reverse aging? Could it be like, you know, the animals could just reverse and it's like, okay, I'm young again and go in there. And so these are fundamental questions we're trying to attack, which could inform us like how these interventions would work and if they even convert to old age. And the last part we actually doing is so most of the aging research, because I've been a long time in the field, is focus what's happening inside of our cells, what's happening to our DNA, what's happening to our mitochondria, what's happening to our proteins. But what we focus on is what's happening outside of the cell. And so since we are multicellular organisms, we have 37 trillion cells, right? They have all to stick together and communicate with each other, right, from organs. And so there are proteins outside the cell that are called the extracell matrix. Mm -hmm. So the XR matrix is this network that is interlinked together that holds your organs together. And for example, one of the big molecules there are collagens. And I'm sure you guys have heard of collagens. This is what makes our, if we de decrease our collagens, our skin starts to wrinkle, right? And you have the skin sagging. So, so you see the natural process that's going on with aging with these XR matrix uh, proteins. And so now we're trying to really to understand the fundamental basics, how they are molecular regulated, how they're maintained, right? Because they need to maintain. We see this in longevity interventions that they are, you know, better maintained, they're more youthful, they look much younger um, from just from the appearance, the animals, right? And um, what's going on? And so we found there some really cool insights. And so that's why we try to break the, the ground uh, to figure out how it's actually working for the exome matrix. And the second part, what we learned, what was super interesting is that um, almost every intervention that increases the lifespans remodels these exomatrix proteins, right? Mm -hmm. And so we were thinking like, uh, you know, if, if that's happening, then if we take drugs that increase lifespan, those drugs should also remodel the extra matrix, right? And so we use now the, we're using now the extra matrix and our drug screens to predict longevity drugs. And so mm -hmm. this is like one approach we are taking. And then we go more into like the, the classical machine learning, like the, the big data, predict things, and then go into to find new interventions that improve health and, and, and longevity. There are three three parts that I'm interested in. So let's uh, take it take it step by step. I really love your passion. So you seem to be really passionate about your research, and this is so great talking with you and listening to you. Um, you mentioned that uh, from your animals, you doubled the lifespan by knocking out uh, basically one receptor. If I got it right. Uh, so the first the, the, the idea had to be, okay, can I come to your lab? So knock out this receptor in my body and uh, then I can probably age up to 200, can travel the world, can travel the universe. I'm sure Elon Musk uh, makes that possible in the next hundred years. Um, how can you, can you translate that into humans? Can you translate the animal trials into humans? So, I mean, the funny thing is when we put out the research, I mean, there were like Twitter feeds going on saying, you know, it's nowadays you don't buy you when you have midlife crisis, you don't not going to buy your Lamborghini or something like that. <laughs> You're going to get, you know, knocked down the IGF. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, 
So we try and really, we're working really hard to translate this to humans. Of course, it's a dangerous game because this is an essential gene. It's important for your growth, right? So if you go for, if you go too hard on it, it's gonna kill you. So um, we are trying now to figure out a strategy, right? More or less a safe strategy that could be uh, working in 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 us. And so we use also. For for the degradation system, we have to do a different system because we just not we cannot re-engineer you <laughs> per se, right? So we're trying to to find some some molecules that would then um, you know link the degradation of that one, and you have to figure out which tissue would be safe enough, right, to to move forward, and then you know probe this one first in 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 mice again. I mean, there's some good evidence with other intervention that works. So just, and then go into clinical trials. And now that's important. So, so you have to wait to, to see those clinical trials to come out that it's really safe and, 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 and effective. Because other than that, it, you could do so much damage to your body, right? You think you do something good because the, that's the, the information you had that looked like very promising, but we need to first prove it. And so on it just give us 10 years or five years depending like you know how much funding we get and how fast we can go right <laughs> oh um in the audience of the podcast are many investors so um the question i have is um you, you talk about five to ten years 15 years and you want to go into clinical trials um what is holding you back to jump right into it where is your need in on that path to find a trackable solution Yeah, at the moment, so you know, as 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 you can see, a lot of in a way, the things happening at the university, right? But then, you know, our our game is to publish papers and to come up with new mechanisms and new things, right? So there is for for a professor, there's not much incentive to to move this further because you know the papers out, they made made a splash, the, the knowledge is there, right? To really go into the applied one, what you need to do as a professor is then start to spin out your research in startup companies, right? Because that's at the moment the only way because you cannot go to directly to big pharma because they say, you know, it's too risky. I mean, you haven't shown anything. I mean, first de-risk your whole, you know, you know, work on the technology that is at the level, de-risk it and then show at least in preclinical trials and some animal models. And then we, we might be interested in it. Before that, you know, that's not, we're not going to go there. So yeah, you you start building these startups. And so that's what also our lab is doing. We're trying, mm -hmm. we're building startups and trying to get it out. I mean, I wish it would go faster, but you know, that's how it is. <laughs> But, but we are there. And then we just try to work closely to move this forward, right? And so, for example, the cool thing is uh, ETH Zurich, it's, you know, it's a technical university. They, you know, world-class for, you know, mathematics, you know, and, and all these um, um, physics and chemistry. And now they're going into medicine because they, they really realized how important uh, the medical field is and go into and what what could ETH for technology university, what technology we could provide to, to medicine, to revolutionize medicine. And so the idea is then also to um, use new um, technical innovation Combine that with you know drug discovery refining to really go and move this forward to together as a startup into an university setting and then have it maybe at the point where it's getting interesting for for big pharma to move it forward because if you want to go into clinical trials that you cannot do as a little startup I mean um, 
But that that's basically at the moment the way I see to to move this forward and to spin out the things and bring it really to 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 the people. Did you already create some spin outs? So yeah, I co-founded um, a, uh, a supplement company, um, mm -hmm. which some technology is coming out from from our lab, right? So we have some supplements. That's is that is I mean the lowest hanging fruit, so to speak, because you know supplements that are you know uh, not regulated, which is also bad because you could lots of damage to you, right? And so the idea is to really go science proven. Uh, things and supplements and so um we have something i cannot talk about it because we're packing at the moment <laughs> but um it's once it's out i'm happy to share more but it's it's something uh, really cool and uh, beneficial and so that that's the first step right so we'll go with supplement and then going to biotech i'm, I'm trying to build something at the moment um But you know, it, it takes time, and it's also biotech, as you know much better than I do. It's 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 very tough, right? To 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 go in there. So I'm I'm still learning there, but you know, I'm I'm trying to surround myself with very knowledgeable people. Again, you know, I go <laughs> I go and uh, bother other experts to help to <laughs> to pull this off because you know, mm -hmm. I think we've done some really cool stuff. I really want to bring out to to move it forward. Um, yeah, startup worlds in drug discovery, drug development is was historically a tough thing, especially in Europe because the funding is scarce. So I'm in this field now since 2006. I also had an eye on on supplements, but as you said, there are a lot of things on the market where I miss a little bit the scientific background. And uh, as it is on the food track, um, it's interesting what's possible on the European market still. Uh, the minute you say it's food, food supplements, that's fine. Um, the situation luckily changed a little bit in the last two years. And I think especially with the, I mean, this is the good thing in the pandemic, in my opinion, that politicians and uh, investors outside of the classical drug development uh, area realized how important that part is. And what I see since March 2020 is that more and more people get interested in funding innovation, especially when it comes to longevity, also aging. And I think it's the right time for you and your team to um, to look for investors and look for co-founders that help you move things forward. Yeah, we, we, are, we are doing this. Again, you know, from, from the academic side, I will not get rewarded, but, you know, my reward is to bring something out there that, you know, will help people make an impact, right? We will translate the, the, the aging research, uh, so to speak. I think it's, I think it's got much better. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's great. I think it can create a nice ecosystem so that reinforces the research and uh, is spinning out um, constantly ideas that are worth, uh, let's say, um, investigating uh, if there is possibility to develop products with it that help people and with the cash flows that come back to science, you can then... Uh, improve also your scientific team, have more resources. So I think this can be really a nice value chain that moves forward. Yeah, and uh, I think also, I mean, the university is starting to recognize this, right? With the tech uh, transfer, I mean, that changed also a lot. Mm. And I think there's going to be lots of different things we should uh, try to move forward. For example, I just can tell from my experience, I mean, we, we're doing the supplements, right? But I, as a scientist, want to know whatever product you make, I want to test back in my lab, right? So I want to test, like, you know, just, you know, 
blinded, com completely blinded. Is that what is really in, in, in the pill in there? Is that mm -hmm. extending the lifespan, right? Is that, is that functional, right? And so I think it's going to be good for any um, spin-off coming out of a university to keep those connections and have some independent validation that it's really like, you know, you know it's high quality because it's just on the chemical structure, but then is it really like effective, working, safe, and things on? So I think there's going to be much more crosstalk, and I think the universe is also not afraid anymore to do this. Yeah, this is good news because this is um, this is the magic you always saw in this field. You have big pharma that is uh, very well suited to bring products to patients. Uh, it's a nice engine, logistics solved, and there is enough money there. Then you have the universities, especially here in Europe. Um, they are perfect. So they have great scientists, they have great resources and great funding. And when I see what comes out of Europe and also other areas like North America and Asia, um, I think science is moving forward at uh, hyperspeed now and uh, creating more and more knowledge. But this field in between was pretty empty. So there were only a few people. And now I really love hearing from both sides that they put in efforts to come closer together. Because as you said, uh, I think these uh, two sides of one coin that on one hand you develop products, on the other hand, you always go back to the scientists and say, okay, what's really working? What uh, is the solution here? What can we leave out? And what do we have to reinforce? It's a Great approach. Yeah, hopefully, you know, that will move forward like this. I mean, it, everything is aligned. I think everything is aligned. It's just uh, it also needs from both sides, people that are willing to to do this, right? And also go the, the extra mile and jump over it. Again, as I mentioned, there's no incentive for academic research to do all this, right? Mm -hmm. and, and same thing is to um, for 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 business people to work with with scientists, which is also not easy because the mindset is completely different, right? I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it's really like when you when you start. I mean, I have the biggest respect. I'm starting with these very smart business people. It's just they think completely different, which is refreshing. But you have to put a lot of effort into it to understand it, and the other way around. For, for the business people to understand the scientists, like what what is the what is the scientist talking about these technical details? I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's also, but I think it's coming from both sides that people are willing to do this. And and the last thing I want to mention there is also that you know from from the university, I mean we have. Lots of smart people coming to study, right? They do an undergrad program and they do a master's. Some of them do a PhD. But university has been always been geared towards, um, you know, you know, you do a PhD and then you do another training and then you become a professor. But this is only 1% of, of those people, right? And so there's lots of um, potentialists lost. Lots of smart people are just, you know, Last and I think what also is starting to change is that to say like for train for other careers opportunity right for example I have a course how to translate basic findings in in research right in aging molecular biology into like startup companies right so it's starting to learn a little bit of mindset in there and it's it's fun to interact and get everybody in also VCs to talk about their perspective or people have done startups so this is one option and then 
Another option would be to go into politics, right? To um, also, as you mentioned, you know, there policymaking has to be changed and things change now because also for the corona epidemic, people saw how important science is, right? And everybody learned now what the mRNA is and what the vaccine is, right? And so it went in more into the public domain, right? Which, you know, I hope we could do also differently to educate people and, and to bring people here closer to it. So I think everything is moving in the right direction, as you mentioned. Um, the mindset, um, I think also the acceptance from both sides and the understanding that there are different mindsets uh, is something that uh, gained more and more awareness in the last two decades. It was different, in my opinion, 20 years ago. Um, also, the communication is much better about these different approaches. And looking on the public side, uh, it was very interesting to see how things evolved in the last 18 months. Um, when someone asked me two years, three years ago, what are you doing for making a living? Uh, and I said, drug development, there was no reaction. And uh, people didn't even think about asking what that is. So it was like, yeah, no, not interesting. And now um, when I talk with people, many people have a basic understanding of how drug development works, what clinical phases are, what's necessary to put a drug on the market, why science is important, why we need that. And uh, so I think it's basically moving in the right direction. Um, let's jump a little bit back to your research uh, because there are two other topics open that uh, I would like to understand a little bit better. You mentioned the term extracellular matrix and its role in aging. Can you give me a little bit more background information? What does that have to do with aging and longevity? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the extracellular matrix per se, um, you know, has not really been studied really a lot about it because, you know, people have been looking at collagens, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. these proteins that are outside there and they form this network. And they also accumulate a lot of damage because this collagen can get sugar um, attached to it, right? And these sugar attachments then start to cross-link. And when this mm -hmm. happens, it's like cross-linking of the matrix. So the cross-link of the matrix, you notice when you eat like some, some you know, older older meat versus uh, some some younger meat right so we see like the age right uh, old cow versus a younger cow right you can just from the stiffness when you chew it you can see this this crossing and also it's very um problematic for example diabetic patients who have a lot of sugar in their blood right if the sugar adds them to these collagens they have for example problems with wound healing right so that that's a major complications the other thing is that i mean the extra matrix has been started before except in in disease mechanisms meaning that for example if collagen is produced but just not be really integrated in matrix but just produced like a lot which is called fibrosis right we usually have inflammation, some inflammatory response, and you have lots of that, right? So fibrosis is, at least in the US, there was one study suggesting it's, you know, 45% of all deaths is due to fibrosis, right? And so if you understand the regulation of the extra matrix or the deregulation of things go wrong, then you can attack that. And the last part that is also very important is for cancer, right? So each cancer cell stages 
change the X-ray matrix. So they make the stiffness, they, they change everything. And then when this cancer starts to, so wants to migrate, right, to mm-hmm. metastasize, it has to break the X-ray matrix. So there's a strong interactions there. And the, the real cool thing is what we found in other funds in our research is that we can tell you what cancer type it is just based on the exome matrix because each of them forms a new ma- matrix. And it gets even more complicated that the inside and the outside so are very well connected. So your cells are attached to the matrix with, with, with some receptors, right? Mm-hmm. And so... They can pull on it. They pull on the matrix, and and they it gives a feedback. And so there's a, a, a inside out signal and outside in signal, which really detect determines homeostasis. Right? Mm-hmm. And so your cell, and when we look just at the exomatrix composition, we could say oh, this cell is healthy or it's diseased, just based what it, what is making. Right, it's just it's a, such a strong interaction. We don't understand how really that works, and so we on there how the signal works. But it's just remarkable how intrinsically they are linked with each other, which makes sense. I mean, we're multicellular organism, right? And so we are trying to figure this out on you know on a systems biological way where we use proteomics and describe all these proteins out there. And call these um, change in the exomatrix, we call it matriotype, which the exomatrix is the matrisome. And, you know, the snapshot of the composition of the matrix we call matriotype. And so with that, we hope to, you know, use this also for um, as a biomarker or for clinical investigation, so to speak. Can we use this one to say, well, this is, you know, a disease cell or a transforming cell or you know, a healthy cell or, or changes there or which, which cancer type there is? Um, you know, from the basic research, we try really trying to figure out how this works. And we, we made some great progress in terms of longevity, right? So we know that we, so all these longevity inventions, uh, going back to C. elegans, for example, um, they require certain key collagens to extend the lifespan. So if you can double the lifespan, certain collagens are really required for this. And the, the cool thing is that we can overexpress certain collagens and it's sufficient to increase lifespan. Now, if something is required and sufficient, it's suggest some sort of mechanism. And it took us five years now to figure out how this works, but we basically figured it out. And it is that, remember those extra matrix right out there, it's linked with these integrins, right? And that signal insert in there. And it's it's called, this signaling is called mechanotransduction because it transduces force measurements into the cell because there are cables that are linked like these acting and tubers, they're linked to your nucleus and they're pulled on your nucleus and that changes gene transcription. So this is this mechanotransduction. And we found this, this is an essential process for all these longevity interventions. And the cool thing is that not only it, it's from you know, the exome matrix to the cell, but also two different, two different organs to another exome matrix. So it's all like linked on a whole organismal level. And so, what would that mean for us humans? It means that you know, you know, your your organs are surrounded by an extra matrix, right? And so not only is the extra matrix important for the stability of the organ, right? Because if 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 you know that damage is happening, then the organs get damaged and that could lead to death, right? And you have to absorb a lot of shock 
truck, when you jump on your knees or your back or your organs inside, you have to think they are also cushion. But also it's important that, you know, these changes, these mechanical changes, um, give an information to the cell what's actually happening and they start to remodel it, right? So if you do more exercise, then your muscle grows, your exome matrix grows, right? And this is a dynamic system. And it works very well when you're young, but it just completely also again decomposes when you're old. And so the, the key is to figure out how can we now maintain these um, connective tissues, these interactions. Um, yeah, but uh, it's a pretty, it's, it's the opening game, which, which, is, which is fun because you can get a lot of insight with, uh, when you start an opening game. I think there is one thing similar when I'm listening to you uh, between science and entrepreneurship both needs passion. <laughs> so when you find the right people who are passionate about the same topic and you get both mindsets into that, I'm pretty sure you can translate it into products that help people. The the question, I think you answered it partially, uh, that popped up in my mind when you were talking about uh, these pulling effects that you get different signals back. Uh, would that qualify for diagnostics? What's your opinion on that? Um, yes, I mean, people are trying to do this. It's just uh, reading out stiffness, right? So there's mm -hmm. a company, I don't want to name the name, but they actually look with atomic force microscopy, go over cancel, right? Mm -hmm. And they can tell you like, you know, how malignant and, and, and these kind of things. So that's really, that that is being used. I mean, currently, I think there's 11 clinical trials to tackle the stiffness of the extra matrix, mm -hmm. right? So it's going on. Um, yes, and it, I think it's it's coming. So it's it's just another, so to speak, an, another readout, right? I mean, there needs to be much more research done, but I think it's going to be very very interesting in that kind of sense. It's, it's good. It's, it's good to say it's uh, in in this way. It's just another readout, so it's not that problematic. <laughs> We are uh, confident that products can happen. It's good to hear that. Uh, the third part you mentioned uh, was artificial intelligence. Uh, and what is your lab doing in that area? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, artificial intelligence is great to help inform you or create new hypotheses, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, we have different projects, but I think the most interesting one, it helps us actually for uh, truck um, discovery. So we use artificial intelligence and... Um, We do this also in collaboration with, with a professor from, uh, from, from Paris, which is one of the few machine learning guys who can actually figure out what the machine is thinking, what features the machine thinks cool, right? And so when we um, try to do new trucks for, for longevity, right, we just train these neural networks to predict mm -hmm. new trucks, but we also figure out what, what is it that the machine thinks that's important. Right. So that, that is that is one aspect. And then we use, I mean, once you have the, the predictive molecule, right, you want to know whether it's safe and how can you use it and what is, you know, all those physical biochemical properties. And so we are actually building, you know, an organic chemist and in silico organic chemist to do these these kind of things, right? It's just mm -hmm. like we build our own machine learning expert, right? And and so we're trying to move the truck development as far as possible so we have something that looks like a molecule that looks like a truck could be taken up and then you know it's predicted to increase lifespan but then we have to go back into the wet lab and you know synthesize the truck 
and then uh, feed the worms and see whether it's increasing lifespan or not. If not, then, well, you know, that's the wrong prediction there. And then you just start going back. But that feeds back into it, right? And say, mm -hmm. like, that was not the right thing. And so the machine is constantly learning and updating it, right? In, 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 a, in a sense, to, to move this forward. And so usually, that, I mean, this is a general approach a lot of people are taking to inform research or, or predict something to which which is hard to recognize uh, as a human being. I mean, we're good at pattern recognition, but then it's just too complex and too many informations, right? And so that's one thing. And the other aspect is, for example, what I mentioned, the exome matrix. Um, in total, there are around uh, 300 proteins that are outside the cell mm -hmm. that make the matrix itself. And then there are another 700 that remodel the exome matrix or associate with the matrix or like, you know, all these changes, right? And so if you have 1,000 genes out of your 20,000, right? Uh, things getting complicated. And so you, of course, use machine learning and see how, you know, what are the predictions and where can we get new insight? You know, is these genes or the interaction of those genes, is that important? And then we actually test these in the lab, always for, for aging or longevity or, or some mechanistic insights for, in that respect. Deciphering the codes of life uh, seems to be a complex problem. So um, I think artificial intelligence uh, helps maybe it's part of the solution, an important part of the solution. And um, also when that moves forward, probably it helps to create more know-how and knowledge. The While you were talking, I mean, what I can imagine is your process that you're doing with your lab uh, in drug discovery and also early stage drug development uh, to take something and test it out and find out if it works. So to put it bluntly. Um, when I look a little bit further down the development path towards clinical trials, I always wondered what, what would be endpoints in, in, in longevity and in aging. Um, I mean, I heard from a, from a friend in another podcast, he said, uh, I mean, this would be very long trials. <laughs> so basically when you want to find out whether people can uh, achieve 100 or 120 years of age with a special treatment, they say, okay, it's 50, 60 years. Uh, how do you see that? Yeah, I mean, this is the, the major problem we're having at the moment, right? And it comes mm -hmm. back to, um, is aging a disease or not, right? Because we don't have, I mean, the way for the drug development, you know, you have to have a specific disease and a specific disease indication that gets improved, right? And so usually what's happening at the moment is that you you find a drug that, you know, increases lifespan and then you figure out from the molecular mechanism where, you know, where the drug has the most, the primary effect of the drug would be, right? What is the most effective? And then you choose your disease model and go into that, right? And lots of these startups that went in there, I mean, the, the biggest thing that's always happening that, you know, they fail in the clinical trials because mm -hmm. just you know, the primary outcome measures just didn't work out. And then the whole thing collapses. So, so this is the biggest worry. I think everybody who's going into those startups, I mean, you still learn. And, and again, lots of machine learning is used to, to find better measurements and, and to move forward. So there's a lot of things happening. And at the moment, this is also what my lab will trying to do is to get some insights in how how can we do better the clinical trials and so we're working also with the eth clinical trial center and move this more now at the moment there was just a couple of days ago a really cool paper in impact aging from uh, budaskaya 
um, and they used um, a supplement. Um, I think can have a glutarate if I can mention that. And and the way they designed the it's not really a clinical trial, but it's like a retrospective study where they had around forty two participants. Right, they gave them the drugs for uh, the supplements for like four to seven months. And they measured their epigenetic age before the intervention and then after the interventions. And remarkably, you know, the epigenetic you know, clock, as you know it, right? So we can predict your biological age versus your chronological age. So th- the cool thing was that actually it was an eight-year reduction in their biological age. So seeming that, you know, with, with this intervention, it had an effect at least on the epigenetic clock, right? But that really translates to hardcore physiology or molecular other molecular change that is unknown but at least the the you know the aging clock as we know it the epigenetic clock um was uh, reversed and so i think that's our window at the moment to use these clocks and then more and more clocks coming out to do an intervention right and then really see whether that whether you are so to speak uh, rejuvenated or that aspect is reversed and i think there much much more other things that have to be read out and you know placebo group etc cetera, etc cetera, and then including <laughs> a trial but i think now it is exciting that it's in something like that is even working because i mean it's still astonishing that you know it's just a short you know say four to seven month intervention has such a big effect um, on, on on aging, so to speak. That, that's very interesting. There is this uh, old proverb that is attributed to Hippocrates. Now I have it. Uh, Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And what you said, they interpreted in a way that probably there is some truth in it. You, you were talking a lot about supplements. So um, when I hear supplements, I associate it with food. And basically the role of science then could be to analyze in, in certain foods or what, what's happening in nature, what really works in that and how can we make that more effective and how can we reinforce these processes so that you get a track at the end of the day. Is this the right perspective? No, I think it's the lowest hanging fruit, to <laughs> right? I mean, so these things, they're called um, caloric restriction mimetics, mm-hmm. right? Because it should, mimet- it should mimic all those molecular changes happening when you are fasting, right? Um, and so, um, yeah, people are working. I mean, we also had another caloric restriction mimetic paper out there to what which worked well nicely in Siagans, and they also showed that there's some indication in mice um, so yeah, I mean, the research is there. I mean, for yourself, I mean, the, the thing that works the best at the moment is, you know, c- you know, caloric eat a little bit less, right? But also what we found out is it's not only, you know, what you eat, right? And how much you eat is also, also the timing. That's the last important part. And so it, the best thing is to have some starvation periods because usually we were evolved, right? That we were like hungry, we had to hunt, we had something, we ate something, and then we were hungry again. So our physiology is better adapted to be starved than, you know, a little bit starved, right? a little bit hungry, than have constant food. So that's the other thing you have to, to limit. And then it becomes, once we understand, we have some understanding, caloric restriction, I mean, been studying since the 1919 from 1937, so to speak, right? 
Um, so we have a good understanding what the molecular players is, what the timing is, what, what is has to be done, what are the changes, right? And now the question is, you know, can we find, you know, some molecules that could trigger it? Because um, I don't know whether you ever tried to, to do those caloric restriction um, regimens. You have to be very disciplined, right? It, it requires to be disciplined like a monk, right? Which personally I cannot do. I love life too much. I just love to eat. And so it would be better that we could like have some, some interventions at the beginning that, you know, you could do some, some fasting, but also you could have some supplements that would, you know, reinitiate some key processes. I mean, we know there are a couple molecules that we lose just during aging, right? And really supplement being meaning that we would supplement them as a, to a younger state. And that would, of course, improve, um, your aging or your health. A lot of insights. I was just smiling because it reminded me of my time at the Shaolin Temple in China. And you're absolutely right. It's pretty easy to live uh, a healthy lifestyle when you are a monk at the Shaolin Temple. You get up four o'clock in the morning, you meditate, then you train, then you get uh, healthy nutrition, a lot of relaxing and exercising. And I think at... Uh, Latest 9 p.m. lights are off <laughs> until 4 a.m. And starvation is integrated with exercising in the day. When I look at my life here in the Western world, it's pretty challenging. There is good food out there. So um, going to, um, let's say, fast food, McDonald's, or uh, especially here in Vienna, cakes, uh, which, uh, which is, uh, I think, also in Switzerland, probably, one of uh, the treats that everybody can access very easily um, makes it more difficult to have the right choices, which leads me to the to the next question. I mean, you mentioned that uh, in your vita that you are the president of the Swiss Society for Aging Research. And I assume that you also talk a lot with policymakers. Um, wouldn't that mean that we also if we want to help people to age healthy, that we also need to do a lot on the policy side. What is, what is the awareness uh, of policymakers and the general population uh, towards uh, health research and healthy aging? Yeah, unfortunately, it's not there where it, where it should be, right? I mean, it's just, um, it's just coming up more and more, right? Mm -hmm. The health awareness, um, it comes up, from, as you mentioned, from, yes, you saw it in the startup business that, you know, longevity is, is coming up more or less because it can be treated as a business. But the same thing is, I mean, we see that with our pension funds and things like that. I mean, politicians, I mean, we know that for a long time that it's not sustainable. We need to change something. And also what, what the healthcare costs are from, from that side, it, it's coming in. But what is not really known is that we can actually do something about it, right? We see, we see this silver tsunami coming up at the moment and It, it looks all bad, but you know what people are not really aware of it is that we we have some molecular insights. We have the science has been working on it for the last 20 to 30 years, right? And we we could utilize that knowledge. And so things that are for me like you know old news. I know this things for 10 years ago. I mean, I talked to a medical doctor, and for them, there's just oh, this is all new, right? <laughs> and then if you from the from the particular practitioner, right? The medical doctor who also sees you on, on a regular day basis, if they're starting to learn this, right? And then, you know, everybody's starting to, to learn this. I think it's it's one job of the scientists to really inform, like, you know, 
you all know we have that problem, right? It's one of our biggest problems or challenging problems that we are facing soon, especially the younger generations. But, you know, there are a lot of things uh, going on. But the problem is that lots of scientists, they don't, are not really outspoken, right? They don't want to talk. <laughs> not that they want to, I mean, they're focused on science, right? Let's put it this way, right? Science is fun. It's their job. The <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, but then there needs to be some education and something like that. And so um, one reason why I founded the Swiss Society for Aging Research is, first of all, to bring all those scientists together to see like, oh, they're we not working in silos, right? There are other people working on that problem, right? And then to start informing also these kind of things and have some, some platform to move forward and also answer questions. And then the idea is then to um, come from the academic side, right? To be there to you know answer questions and help building up stuff, right? I mean, there's, I mean, from, from the business side, there's gonna be like a, Swiss longevity value to trying to build build up right and so I mean this is this is important to move forwards and then coming to the politician I think and the policymakers that is going to be difficult I mean one challenge we had with the WHO that was um, I think 2017 or 16 that or 15 it was not in their program in there anymore right and so our society and then the German and you know the one in England, all the society wrote, wrote and said, you know, you have to have aging as you know in in your in your program, otherwise it's not going to be addressed. And so luckily they, they put it back onto the agenda, right? And it's more in in you know in in the healthcare system and you know how helping elderly people and integrating them, right? And how it helped they not losing so much life quality. But what is missing is all the preventative things we could do already before it gets there, right? At the moment, we're very responsive. And so the, the, the key question, and that needs a lot of politicians and people from the public in there, lots of smart people too, how can we actually do these you know, preventative things, uh, lifestyle changes or coming from, from the medical field or you know, even the, these supplements or even these, these, these changes? I mean... Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, start like, you know, have a starvation period as a patient before an operation because the outcome is much better, right? And 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 these kind of things um have to change. And it also has to reach the people because not aware, right? I mean, as I mentioned before, I mean, I was so surprised. I mean, if I before the, the corona pandemic, if I talked about mRNA. What is this, right? Something, and and now they they know, right? So I was, I'm hoping that we find some way to also educate um, people, uh, the, the public, to to understand there's a biology of aging going on, and we can do something about it. I think the the internet can play a crucial role here in um, dissemination of information. Um, what I read recently was. Um, that probably my expectation to become uh, a centenarian uh, declined a little bit. Uh, from the United States, I saw a study where they stated that uh, the average lifespan is declining uh, again. So um, probably caused by the lifestyle in the Western world and raising awareness in that direction would be probably helpful to reverse the process. My question to you is, uh, do you perceive similar uh, developments like uh, this one study I read um, 
that the lifespan is uh, declining again in some some areas um i can not really for for switzerland mm. not really i think it, the life expectancy i mean your second place after japan yeah, yeah. That, that increase but but what i can say is that you know we see this you know i mean 20 years ago um, at least for for kids, right? I didn't see any obese kids in Switzerland. And I went to US. I spent ten years in US, and I saw a lot of obese kids there. And coming back, I see now more and more, you know, obese kids. Meaning that their lifespan, what uh, their lifestyle, what they're eating is not correct. And so usually that's not due to the kids. It's usually the parents that should, you know, be a little bit more educated and have some more healthy snacks or healthy things in there, right? And so. Um, there could be a lot of things done with lifespan changes, what we eat, how we eat, and these things, because it's just, yeah, it's at the moment, it's almost too, too good. You can go and get a Snickers or their sugar, these kind of things. Yeah. I mean, there are things trying to be done to tax sugars and these kind of things. But uh, I think, again, it, it boils down to to education and, and you know, having a healthier lifespan. Um and also like the, the healthcare system, things have to change. And so also some innovative things because, you know, meaning that we have soon more elderly people than young people, right? Mm. So things have to change. And I think also it has to, again, change with integrating them a little bit better. I mean, you know, you know the, the pension fund, you know, the age at least in, in Switzerland and other places set to um, 65 and the the original reason was because the life expectancy at that time was 66. So meaning you work, so one day before you die, technically, statistically, right? And you have one year to enjoy whatever hard work you put in there, right? But now, I mean, it's another almost 20 years, right? Where you going to be retired. So things have to change in that kind of things, also how we work and how we integrate it. Maybe we have to do something that you take sabbaticals, you work for a couple of years, and then you take a half year off or learn something new, right? So I think the system there also has to change because, you know, um, and have it more people integrated, right? Because you could see this with these... Um, blue zones where you know people are very social they keep working they eat less right and they live also longer and they have a very healthy lifespan and 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 then in these communities and when you take those people out you know um and you know some of them migrates to the us or to europe right they don't live much longer because it's just a lifestyle lifestyle change right so um they could be lot of things done in, in that kind of sense yeah i agree to that i think uh, expectation management by policymakers uh, can change a lot i mean we see that in the last two years uh when there is uh, the right uh, intention from politics uh, a lot of things move very quickly and what you mentioned that the models that we have established in, uh, in our pension system date back i think um, right after world war ii and uh, now people expect to be retired for two or three decades. And um, maybe when that changes, um, we have a little bit um, less stress on the uh, social insurance system here in Europe because uh, 
when only a few people pay in and when the young generation spends more time on universities. Um, I think the, the working life is just uh, shrinking to two decades. And uh, where should all the taxes come from? Exactly. I mean, and also, yeah, and also what you do when you're old, right? I mean, you, there's not much, uh, I mean, also the awareness has to change, right? And, and to integrate mm. it. I mean, you know, I mean, for example, my mother, when she got retired, she um, went back to university, studied psychology and um, uh, had her own, um, you know, uh, praxis to to um, treat people, right, from, from the psychology side. And so it was just a second career, right, coming, just do something second. And it would be cool if we had some some more, you know, things like that so they can, you know, educate again, do something something really new and, and then move forward and then integrate it again into society to make an impact and helpful. And, you know, and also that they can choose not to work every day, but, you know, I don't know. So it's 70% depending on how much they want, but it's still a valuable contribution. Yeah, I absolutely agree. But what I like on, on the internet, so the nice thing is with elderly people, they have all the life experience. And uh, when I just think back when I was 20, uh, it was really challenging to figure out what is the right way, what is the right way to move forward. And Back then, my approach was to just become a member of management clubs or clubs where elderly people with life experience mingle with the young generation so that both sides can share their perception of life. And I learned a lot, a lot from uh, people in their 70s, 80s and 90s. And what I realized with the internet, that especially on YouTube, uh, many elderly people use the channel uh, to spread their life experience. And the great thing is uh, YouTube has a business model built in. So people just need to sit down, talk about their life, upload the videos, and over time, they can create income streams with that. And uh, when politicians would push more in that direction to make people aware of such uh, new models, I think a lot is possible also for, for people uh, above 65, 70. Cool. I, did, I didn't know that. That's actually very uh, nice to hear. So, yeah, and there are things, challenges and opening, right? And some, some new innovative things, right? And again, as you mentioned, it's like, how can we, how can we inform everybody that these things are possible? Uh, to do i think my solution is podcasts <laughs> so let's just sit down talk about it uh, spread the message and help people uh, reach a wider audience let me ask you one final question um, you had a great career and or you are in the middle of a great career let's, let's say it this way um, and you work a lot with students and when i think back my 20s when i was 20 uh, one question was, how can I make an impact? What should I do to move forward um, in a way that I create value for society? And I would be interested in your answer. So when young people come to you and say, what, what can they do to change something in the world? I mean, it sometimes looks confusing. There is so much going on and so little we can do. Uh, what is your advice to someone who makes who wants to create lasting change yeah first of all i mean first of all the person itself has to figure out what really excites 
excites them, right? Is it, you know, going into business, going into different things? And if if the person is excited about science and and and, and research, right, then you have to figure out what, what excites you most. So it, it, it's a little bit first, a little bit self-reflection, what you really want, which is a hard question when you're young, of course, <laughs> but then also try different things, right? And so mm-hmm. I would say just, you know, try for a little bit. And if you say that's not working, then just don't stick with it. So just try then something new. This is this is all fine. Now, when, when I was young, I wanted to do aging research, right? And I've started with those labs. And in the beginning, you know, it was not really accepted. So people were laughing at us, right? So we're doing this, you know, aha, yeah, aging research. Mm. But, you know, nowadays it's much better. And now it gets, for me, personally seeing the development, it gets really excited in the aging space because as I mentioned, not all of you know the young minds become professors, but you know you could do actually startups or or anything like that. And nowadays there are lots of programs that help actually people in academia, right, or you know from the, or from the business side to to develop those startups just in the aging space, right? So I'm I'm taking my time also mentoring. Um, on deck longevity biotech kind of thing development, which is very nice with different talks. And as you mentioned with the internet, it makes it much easier, right? The accessibility to find the community. So the second the, the second tip I want to give is to find um, the community where you know what you want to do is actually happening and you get all these stimulating inputs and, and surrounding, right? Because, you know, if you surround yourself with the right people, um, it's just, it's so much more fun and you learn a lot, right? For myself, I mean, I really loved my time in, in Boston, being at Harvard, right? It was just like such a vibrant environment, so, so much fun to do science. And the, the, the key thing is, it's just, you have to have fun what you're doing because otherwise it's not worth putting up with all these different things that are not not fun and hard and if you if you don't find the passion what you want to do you will give up right because there's you know nothing is perfect there's always one or two things that you really hate to do and you have to push yourself through in order to move forward so again find something that you're passionate about it and surround you with the right people, get get you know, expert opinions, and then just try it. And one thing I want to mention, especially for the people in Europe, right? We always look at failure that some failure is something bad. And you know, it's it's what you have to accept is it's totally okay to fail. You just gain experience. It just feels hard and it, it hurts maybe, but if you change that mindset, then it's just like, you know, at least I. No, I tried. You only you only fail if you don't try, right? And just you know, I think we live at least in Switzerland. Um, you live in a very nice environment, and if you fail, it's not that you're going to be on the street, right? You <laughs> you will find something else to do, right? So you have the luxury um, to to fail in another sense. Sound advice, sound advice. Um, I was joking with a friend yesterday, so I think the. The old model was uh, for men, build a house, have a child, plant a tree. And uh, what I realized also with what you said is, uh, yes, true, but find your passion first. So look at what what you love doing and what you can uh, think about spending the rest of your life with it. And if it doesn't work out, just move on, try another thing when you're young. So you have the freedom to do so. And the second thing that I'm taking with me from what you said right now is uh, this 
is failure um, or a culture of success, like another friend calls it. Um, I think this is the reason why scientists make really great entrepreneurs. And uh, I understand science in a way that uh, failure is just something that makes scientists uh, move forward quicker. So from one failure to the next, and uh, this is the way how they cr create success. And whenever I talked with scientists, they were not really worried about that. Ah, this didn't work. Okay, let's try the next thing. And uh, this spirit, I think, also helps creating great companies. Yeah, I mean, uh, to, to add that one with the scientists, I mean, what we, at least our lab, always asking, what would be the killer experiment? How would she, how could we, the idea we have, you know, how can we make sure, like, how could we not destroy this, the wrong word, right? So, but kill kill it, right? In, in, mm -hmm. the, so in, the, in the end, it's like, you know, when you fail, fail fast, right? So what is the thing we need to do first that we know if that's, it's thing is not going to have, if the bubble is going to burst, right? We want to burst it really fast. And, and, and the other thing I want to add to you, I mean, what also changed is it's, I think it's not one career path anymore per lifetime, right? I think that, that changed, but that my parents had one career path and even my mother changed it in this kind of way. I think, uh, you know, the, the cool thing nowadays with the accessibility with the, as you mentioned, the internet to learn new things, right? Is that you will, you can, you can evolve and change and just do something completely different, right? And all you need to do is put the extra energy in there to, to go and learn and study. And, and so you can do the career change. Again, it's going to be easy if, if that's your passion. That's absolutely true. I mean, uh, today when I want to start something new or learn a new skill, I can start so easily with the internet, just, just the first steps. It's not the end point. Um, going back into the nineties, to the nineties, um, it meant traveling somewhere to meet the right people and traveling sometimes was really expensive back then. And people who didn't come from money, uh, sometimes had real limitations to find these initial steps to move to a different environment. And now in 2021, I mean, go online, you find all you need there. It's, it's great. Yeah, that's right. It's right on your fingertip. I mean, you keep mentioning back, back in the days, I mean, the first study about the doubling lifespan, I went to the library, right? I dicked up, <laughs> up the paper, right? And I read it there. And then I was so amazed. And I just like, I had it and, you know, I really wanted to keep it. So I wanted to the photocopying, right? Photocopying something is just, you know, and then the, yeah, I just, yeah, I, want, I really wanted that paper, but I didn't get it. I mean, nowadays you could either online or even if you go to the library, you could use your phone just to click and you have yeah. it. Right? <laughs> Amazing how technology advanced in only two decades. I really love it. Um, Colin, is there anything open that you would like to address in this podcast? Um, no, not really. I want, I want to thank you. I think you do a fantastic job to um, spread the word, right? And, and reach people and be give some food for thoughts, right? And ignite new things. And also then, you know, that will also bring people together. So I think this is really um, fantastic what you're doing here and also, uh, you know, bring in innovation to to the living room, so to speak, or to wherever the person is, right? Or person is maybe running outside, listening to your podcast. And, you know, it's just, the cool thing is um, that, 
you know, your brain is always changing and learning something new. So just listening to this podcast, I'm sure everybody's brain just changed and they learned something, hopefully. Uh, I absolutely believe that. I love your passion and the way you make science uh, understandable for non-scientists is really a great skill. And uh, I wish you and your team all the best and let's stay in touch. Uh, I would be curious to see uh, how quickly your science uh, evolves into products. Oh yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your time and have a great day. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.